where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure at Voice America. I never remember whether I said this is the future or that, so I'm just going to go like that up in the air. Welcome to Technology Revolution, my favorite thing to do on Wednesday morning. Everybody listening, watching around the world, you've been to school at some point in your life. In education, we're not going to get into the politics because it is being bombarded by all kinds of things. We don't do that here. But we're going to talk about my favorite subject. I've been doing a sub-series, if you will, this year on the impact of AI on the future of fill-in-the-blank. I've done empathy in AI, novelists in AI, music composers in AI, lawyers, oh my goodness, and AI. And today we're doing, we've done drones and AI too. That was a fun one. And now we're going to do the future of education and AI. And we've assembled a panel of five interesting people who care about this topic. So as usual, let me do my intro, which is based on my research on ChatGPT. Whether you like it or love it or don't know anything about it, this is what I use. And it's a large language model and it's AI. So let me tell you what I found. I said to, I queried it and I said, ChatGPT, please. And it's important that you be polite. It may not be sentient and have human emotions and empathy, but it responds better. Uh, Karen, I did a survey with a guest last week and she said, when she says please in her query, she gets better answers. Serious, seriously, no kidding. So I said, tell me about education and AI, please. And the answer was with AI powered tools, teachers can analyze student performance data and adapt teaching methods to suit individual needs, automate administrative tasks to free up their time for lesson planning and one-on-one -on -one support for students who need it, identify patterns and trends in student data, and inform curriculum decisions. But, however, there's always a caveat. Some critics worry that AI algorithms could have bias towards certain students or groups, and we know about the, the good, the bad, and the not so good, and the very ugly about algorithms. So that was what I found. Then I said, Critical question, and in every industry today, everybody says, is AI gonna take my job? Will I be replaced by a robot or a chatbot? Well, I asked, will human teachers be replaced by robot teachers? And here's what I was told by ChatGPT. Well, there have been significant advancements in AI and robotics. It is unlikely that human teachers will be completely, underline that word, everybody, completely replaced by robot teachers. Why? Certain aspects of teaching require human interaction, empathy, understanding, and a level of creativity, critical thinking, and problem solving that is currently, and there's the word currently, beyond the capabilities of robots. The most effective approach right now is likely a combination of human teachers and technology. I like that. Then I said, and I always do, I look for fictional movie quotes about the topic. So I asked, please tell me some fictional movie quotes about teaching. And what's funny is a couple weeks ago, I asked AI for some fictional movie quotes and guess what it did? It made up the quotes to suit the topic in movies that existed, but it changed the quotes to put the topic sentence in there and it gave me fictional quotes from fictional characters. And it said, this is just for entertainment value. I had to ask three times and rephrase till I got the real quotes from the movies. Never happened before. So I have a quote from one of our favorite quotees, John Keating played by the late, great Robin Williams, left way too soon, Dead Poets Society, 1989. And the quote is, the mediocre teacher tells, 
the good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, the great teacher inspires. I want to cry. <laughs> this is such a beautiful quote. Then I asked for a quote, it's a couple more, and I got one from Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita, the Karate Kid, 1984, even earlier. It's not about how much you know. It's about how effectively you can share that knowledge with others. Kind of a, a vague related to teaching. And one more, Glenn Holland, played by Richard Dreyfus in Mr. Holland's Opus. A little more recent, 1995, it's only 28 years ago. And the quote is, teaching is not about answering questions, but about questioning answers. That's a great quote. So I have five on the panel, packed house. We're going to get started now. Bob Ficken, say hello. Bob is here. Wave hello. There he is. He was on a couple weeks ago. I was so thrilled to meet Bob. I invited him back and he helped put together this panel. I'm hello, everybody. Bob, hi. We have Dr. Danielle Hankins. Danielle, wave hello. There she is. We have Brian Romilly, did I say it right? Am I close enough? You can unmute, Brian. I want to hear you. Yes. Thank yes, you, you very wonderful. much. That's Thank the you. toughest one on the Good panel. To be here. Karen Gibson is back all the way from Hawaii. Four oh seven five oh seven in the morning. You're my champion. And Eric Meyer is a newcomer. Eric, welcome. There he is. We've got to have that smile for the whole hour. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of education and AI. Robot substitute teachers? See, I put in substitute so nobody says, oh my God, real teach? No, substitute. That's as far as I'm taking it. So welcome, 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 Bonnie D in the house. Happy to be here. And for the record, it is June, what? 14th already. We're almost done with the half of 2023. Where is the time going? And I'm glad we all got this far and you know what I mean. Let's go around the table. Bob Ficken, you've got 9.72 people in the world who don't remember you from my show a couple weeks ago. Shame on them. Why don't you talk to them and tell you what you've been up to and why is this topic important to you? Bob, welcome. Thank you. Uh, sure, I think that we're at a really important intersection right now between technology and education. And, you know, I was at a seminar yesterday and one of the speakers kind of showed the quick transition that we made over a few years. I'll still call it quick between, for example, LP albums versus eight track tapes versus cassette tapes you know, all the way into what we're now listening to. And it's kind of like that. And the initial reaction, of course, with most schools was, oh, no, we got to stop this. You know, students are going to use it to cheat. But that reaction kind of faded out quick. And now what's starting to happen is schools, teachers, and students are all working together to try to figure out how can we use AI? What do we want it to do? And we're starting to see schools transition now from trying to control it to instead, how can we use it to enhance education? And I think that's kind of a vital point in this whole transition. And to the extent that we can influence that, it's gonna be a wonderful thing. I agree, Brian, uh, Bob, Bob, I got a Brian, I got a Bob. Do me a favor, Bob, just level set for us. What do you do for a living and what's your role in education? Just give us that much. Sure, I've been teaching at the university level now for over 25 years. I teach in the classroom online and pretty much every modality there is. And I know one of the interesting things I just saw one of my fellow professors do is assign a student to use AI to run a query on a topic they were studying in the class, have chat uh, GPT-4 actually write it and then go through it and annotate it and write their corrections and, and things to kind of go against it and then submit the paper based on that so that the student not only got the critical thinking aspect of the assignment, but also begins to learn how to use AI. 
Very interesting. Well, that's certainly a way to introduce it in a in a, a constructive way and an instructive way. A little bit of inspiration there too. I'm glad you got the term critical thinking in there, Bob. That's important to our conversation. Thank you. Let's go around the table. One seat, Dr. Danielle Hankins. I'm putting you on speaker view. You're new to the show. Welcome and tell us who you are and why are you here, Danielle. Thank you for having me. I am Dr. Danielle Hankins. I am an educational psychologist. I work out of California. I have worked in K-12 education systems. I work in higher education. I teach in higher education. I primarily consult in developing programs policy for K-12 education. And uh, my bread and butter used to be neurocognitive and cognitive assessment of children in the education setting but it has moved to more of a response to intervention model where we are trying to get kids to integrate things like technology to increase their access to their academic environment. And so I am here today because K-12 education still is very perplexed as to what to do with AI. And I think that we need to take a note from higher ed and lean into utilizing it for creativity and helping students and not vilify it in K-12 public education. So I'm here to advocate for a happy medium between integrating AI and traditional school. Thank you very much. That was very well put. Good good POV to add to what the panel is going to cover in our predictions today. Thank you, Bob. This is a credit to you for getting Danielle here for us. I appreciate that. Let's move one more seat around the table. Brian Romley, welcome. Brian, let's hear who you are. Go ahead. Well, first off, honor to be here. Um, my interest in AI started in the late 1980s, um, more uh, as a technologist. I saw it as a tool for education ultimately back in those early days. And now that we're at ChatGPT3 level, which essentially only started in November of last year. I mean, it, we're on warp drive right now, how radical it has uh, infiltrated every possible element of society. My concern with education is um, exactly where Dr. Hinkins is and, 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 and Bob. Uh, we are at the point where if we don't devise really well thought out and well um, well devised plans on how to integrate education and AI together, we may throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so I want to try to uh, syn synergize a way for AI to work with students and faculty so that there's a standing on the shoulders of giants rather than being pushed down by AI dominance, if you will. Very eloquent. Wow, I'm impressed. We're covering a lot of territory or work with students and with teachers. Very interesting. I, I'm hearing optimism and that's what I like. That's what I appreciate. Karen Gibson, welcome back all the way from Hawaii. Hawaii, I think I'm supposed to say. Now it's 5.12, 5.13 in the morning. Bless you for getting up early. So Karen, why don't you refresh us? I think there are probably about 12 people in the world who don't remember you because you've been on a couple shows a year with me for a long, long time. So Karen, update us on what you're doing and what's important to you about this topic. Karen, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am so passionate about education. Um, I'm a mother of two adult daughters, and I'm an author, parent coach, and I started Brain Builders, a private tutoring company in 1999, prior to technology, 
I noticed that a lot of um, high school teachers here, they are actually giving their students permission to do a rough draft using AI. And then of course, having to, you know, edit themselves and, um, you know, make it their own. But I think a lot of kids who have writer's block, they fear just starting an assignment. AI can definitely open the door to um, taking away that anxiety and giving them a resource. So I've been using it even as a parent coach. I think like a lot of people are like, where do I start? What questions do I ask? And especially for students, right? What do I write about? How do I even come up with a topic sentence? And you just start that and it's amazing. I think a lot of my students are shocked and I remind them, we never even had the internet or Google, you know, back in the day. So I think it, there's a lot of benefits to AI and education. Thank you very much. Tell everybody what the title of your book is and, and the other things that you do, Karen. I think they'll all get a kick out of it. Go ahead. Well, my first one is called Mama's Gotta Let Go, How to Let Go Without Losing Your Sanity. Second one, I started doing TikTok tips and I ended up doing 100 TikToks on 100 parenting tips inspired by the pandemic. And then recently, um, I'm one of tw uh, 30 authors in The Power to Rise Above where I share a vulnerable story of um, the gift of a failed suicide attempt. So, yes, Thank it's you. fun. We're happy you're here. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. And let's go one more seat around the table. Eric Myers, can't wait to hear from you. You're brand new to the show. Welcome. Let's hear from you. And what's important to you about this topic? Eric, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Bonnie. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. And uh, so my name is Eric Myers. I work as a university instructor and I teach kind of a wide variety of courses. I teach human resources. I teach organizational behavior, uh, some more on the qualitative, you know, people side of business. But I also teach finance and entrepreneurship courses as well. Uh, so I've been teaching uh, for just over two years now. So I'm just beginning my career within this amazing profession as uh, an instructor. And I'm very blessed uh, to really live a dream in many different ways. As for why I'm here and what I'm interested about for learning when it comes to the dynamic between AI and education, and this might seem like a bit of a cheesy answer, but I'm still going to say it anyways, is I'm still a student at heart, even though I work as an instructor, I'm always learning, I'm always trying to acquire knowledge, and I want to hear from, you know, these amazing experts and my fellow panelists here about what their thoughts, ideas, and perspectives are towards what we're seeing within AI right now, what changes we'll see in the future, and you know how I can apply that, you know, for my current classes, future classes, and just you know everyday education. So that's number one. Number two is I think just learning more about you know how I can use this as an advantage to help my students because I believe as instructors, you know, we have um, you know a need to help. We're molding the next generation of students, whether in the K to 12 system or in the university field, is our job, like I said, is to teach, but to also inspire and help our students in many different ways. So any way that I can acquire a little bit of knowledge in that perspective is something that I'm very much looking forward to. Thank you, Eric. Saying you're a student at heart is not cheesy at all, because we all are. We're here because we're thinking, critically, I believe, we're planning on how can we use this new tool and we're learning aren't we danielle and bob and karen and brian we're learning about ChatGPT, and i didn't know anything about it so one of you mentioned that it just 
came on board around last November. I do a year-end show called the Crystal Ball Prediction Show, where I invite hundreds of people who've been on my show all year long, and the first 10 to sign up, I did six weeks last year with 10 panelists each week, and one of my colleagues, former colleagues when I was at SAP, said he started using ChatGPT. This was December 2022, and I had no idea what the blank he was talking about. And after the show, I went and looked it up, and I said, what? And I started using it very tentatively. So I was learning, and now I'm doing a whole sub-series on AI this year. So Eric, your point is very well taken. And if we can all be cheesy with Eric, we're all students <laughs> at heart, because we wouldn't be here talking about this future of if we weren't interested in, in not only finding out about it, but helping to shape it. I think we're all part of where are we, Daniel, like that? I think you all nodded. Yes, we're getting very profound here. Bonnie, stop that. Let's move on. Thank you all for the bios. I appreciate it. Such interesting POVs on the panel. That's what we love here. So now is the part of the show where I've asked each of you to please send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric that has nothing to do with teaching or instruction or anything like that. And we're going to have you related in your own words. Take about two minutes. And these are very interesting quotes. Bob Ficken, you're up first. And Bob picked a song from Eminem. The song is Not Afraid. It's the lead single from Eminem's 2010 album called Recovery. Eminem, in case you're interested, was born in 1972, baby. Marshall Bruce Mathers III, American rapper, songwriter, record producer, and he popularized hip hop in middle America and is claimed as one of the greatest rappers of all time. And he broke the racial barrier for white rappers. Isn't that interesting? This song was certified 10 times platinum in 2014, I'm sorry, yes, 2014, and he was the first artist with Digital Diamond Awards for two songs at the same time. How about that? So here's the line, Bob. This is very profound. I'm not afraid to take a stand. Bob, I'm getting goosebumps on that one. What does that have to do? I think I know. I think everybody knows. What does that have to do with our topic? Bob, go ahead. Well, I, I felt alone for a long time, but uh, now I know that there are quite a few of us on this side of the fence, but I started asking colleges and universities that I teach at about five years ago, what's the classroom of 2035 need to look like? The first question is, does it even need to be a physical classroom? You know, and things like that. So my stand, and this was spoken to earlier, is simply that we're not gonna stop AI. Now we can take some time to try to regulate it or protect ourselves against it being used the wrong way and things like that, but nothing is gonna slow it down. And my stand on this is that we need to stop trying to find ways to stop it and instead ask the question, what can AI do for us? What can it do to help education? You know, and I think we need to, you know, I, I feel like I need to stand on that side of the fence and keep asking that question until I can get more of my peers in education to think about that and start to do what I would call the right thing. Thank you very much. Very interesting and very interesting quote from you. I wasn't expecting that. Thank you very much, Bob. I love when people go, let's say, against type or against visible type and pick something that I would never expect. Dr. Danielle Hankins has picked a quote from Antihero, pop rock and synth pop song by who else? Taylor Swift. It's the lead single from her 10th studio album, Midnight's from 2022. And I will tell you that this single, Danielle, broke the global and U.S. records for the biggest 
opening day Spotify stream for a song, and it reached top 10 of the official charts in 40 territories, including Australia, Belgium, Canada, Croatia, Indonesia, I didn't know they had a song list there, Indonesia, Ireland, Israel, Latvia, Malaysia, New Zealand, I'm not going to go on. Anti-Hero made Taylor Swift the only soloist in U.S. music history to debut five songs at the top of the chart and the number, the first artist to score radio number ones across the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020 decades. Don't you get chills when you think about that, how young she is? Here's the line, Danielle, I can't wait to hear how you explain this one. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Danielle, help, help, help. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with Bob on this one. Being on the side of the fence of AI, we're trying to lean into it and embracing it and convincing other people that it can be used in a way that's safe and effective and having an impact on education. And this quote just resonated because it's about you. You're limiting your thinking. You expand the, the possibilities of what can be done. And a lot of these systems, especially I'm going to speak from K-12, higher ed is coming around a bit, but they, they can't get past this is cheating, this is plagiarism, this is a problem, we need to get it out, the kids can't do this, right? And it's like, no, you're the problem, it's you. <laughs> so it's time to say, okay, maybe I'm the problem looking at this AI from a lens that isn't exactly, you know, correct. Let's take a look at the bigger picture of AI and what it can do for us. So it's about getting out of your own way, realizing you might be the problem and vilifying this new technology and starting to do what Bob said and lean into it just a little bit and see how it can work for us. Thank you. Very, very thoughtful. I suspect Taylor Swift would be very honored that you brought her quote to this show. I don't think she would have ever thought she'd be on a show, be quoted on Technology Revolution in the Future. Now, maybe, Danielle, maybe we get Taylor Swift to be a guest on one of my shows. We'll, you and I'll work on that, okay, <laughs> in, in our spare time. Thank you. Brian Romilly sent us a quote from Rush. I have to tell you, Brian, a guest on a different show had the same exact quote two weeks ago on my creativity show, and it showed up again. And I said, what? Wow. It's by, I know, it's by Rush, which is interesting. Uh, Rush was a Canadian rock band comprised of Getty Lee, bass, keyboards, vocals, Alex Lifeson on guitar, and the late, wonderful Neil Peart, drums, percussion, and lyricist. This is the lead single from their fifth studio album, A Farewell to Kings. And this is the first Rush song to feature a non-member as a songwriter. It was Peter Talbot, who was a friend of Neil Peart. Cashbox called this very like a Led Zeppelin number in terms of structure, timbers, and the role of the lead vocalist. And Record World said this is a stately rock song with a strong vocal. So whatever that means. Here is the line. Everybody put your seatbelts on. It's a long one. And the men who hold high places must be the ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart, closer to the heart. I'm going to stop there because it's long. Brian, beautiful lyric. What does this have to do like we can't figure it out with our topic? Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Bonnie, thank you. I feel that this song encapsulates the, the problem that we're all at the interchange of, and that is we're dealing with technology, and technology seems to be a cold and distant thing to all of us, rightly so. But the interesting part about large language models is that it's a reflection, I call it the grand mirror, of human invention of language. The part of the brain that invented human language um, is being reflected back in the large language model. So what we see inside of ChatGPT 
in fact is, of course, algorithms. It's a mathematical weighting of words. It doesn't understand the word that follows. It just knows the mathematical likelihood statistically of this word following the prior one. And we look at that and we can say, oh, that's cold and that's distance. But we're doing the same thing when we're speaking. We don't really have a concept of what we're going to say until sometimes uh, the exact words come out. We have the right hemisphere, which is uh, like butterflies being connected, collected by uh, you know a net. And then we have the left hemisphere that's trying to sequence those words. And sometimes the buffer overflows, sometimes we forget, we get older, you know, things like that. So it's really shaping this reality that I see that as AI becomes more simpatico with humans and as it becomes more of an assistant and we understand it better, we're going to be able to form a new reality. We're going to be able to form a much stronger human population. And it's not machines taking over and it's not us becoming cyborgs. We are already cyborgs with this thing. Uh, we just don't realize it. But in, real, in reality, this could actually dis decouple us from our connection to technology as we see it today. So that's my optimism about it. I like that. And, and to your point, do you all think I'm reading a script when I'm speaking to you right here? Are you serious? It's just, Brian, it's just coming as I look at you, as I read the notes, as I see my research, some using ChatGPT, it's just coming out. I'm putting the words together. And I like to say, Karen's heard me say this before, we're all improving what we say and what we do. Seriously, did you pop out of your mom with a manual about exactly what you're going to do every step of the way in life? I studied improv. I was a stand-up comedian for a while. I had my own troupe. But improv is knowing when the room needs you to contribute. It's not when, hey, it's my turn. I want to do something. It's when the room needs you. And I think that's what we're all doing is when is it my, when does the show need me to speak? Brian, you know your turn, but you're contributing what your thoughts are on this. I don't see you reading a script. So we're all improving it. And I, I love the way you describe that, Brian. I'm trying to say thank you in too many words. Let's go around the table. Bob, what a panel. Seriously, what a panel. I have some feelings here. We'll talk later. Karen Gibson, beautiful quote. You picked the theme from The Greatest American Hero, which was an American comedy drama superhero pilot movie and a TV series on ABC TV from 1981 to 83 produced and created by Stephen J. Cannell. We know he's done so much. Some really cool people in it. Uh, let me give you the plot. The lead character's surname, which was Ralph Hinckley, was changed from Hinckley to Hanley immediately after President Reagan was shot and wounded by John Hinckley in 1981. And then months later, they reverted his name back to Hinckley in the series, interestingly enough. So here's the plot. Ralph Hinckley, or Hanley, is, uh, and I was thinking of Daniel Hankins, I've got the H-A-N in my brain there, <laughs> is an L.A. public school, high school substitute teacher, good job, Karen, picking this, of remedial education. During a school field trip, he encounters extraterrestrials, da, 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 da. oh, that's the theme from Jaws, sorry, who give him a suit that endows him with superhuman abilities and instructs him to collaborate with FBI Special Agent Maxwell, ooh, played by Robert Culp, to fight crime and injustice in the world, and Attorney Pam Davison, played by the one and only Connie Selleck, I remember from back in the day, who happened to be an attorney who handled Ralph's divorce. She encounters the alien. She sees them too. They coerce her into joining Ralph and Bill during missions with students to try and fight evil and all that good stuff. So here's the line Karen has picked. Look at what's happening to me. I'm not going to sing it. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly, I'm up on top of the world. It should have been somebody else. 
Karen, talk to me. How does this relate to our topic? Eric's sitting there like, what's she going to say? What's she going to say? Go ahead, Karen. I think a lot of my students have shared that AI is somewhat of a hero to them in the classroom and out because many of them are um, stumped on how do you even begin research? There's so much out there. And ChatGBT gives them uh, you know, resource to help them kind of like climb out of that black hole of what do I do? I don't even understand the assignment. So even if something as complicated as Romeo and Juliet, you just put edit, you know, um, or even just a perception from a like five-year-old. And it's amazing that you can get simple, a simple summary and it makes their papers, it makes studying for exams. I mean, truly, I think they really believe that AI and ChatGPT are their heroes in the classroom. Isn't that interesting? I wouldn't have guessed that already. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, we talk about that blank page. I'm calling it the blank page syndrome. I was a, uh, I don't know, Karen's the only one who probably knows this, but I'm considered an early woman in tech. I was a programmer analyst back in the day. I won't give you a year because Eric will fall off his chair, but probably before he was born. And uh, I was coding in COBOL and programming on a mainframe called a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. That was before uh, Honeywell bought Xerox and turned it into Honeyox, if anybody remembers those days. And the the challenge was design this report with the language you're using, which was COBOL, looking at a blank piece of paper. What are you going to do? How Brian knows, what are you going to do? What's my style? What did Bonnie D program that was different from everybody else in the class or everybody else who was doing that job? How do we get from that blank piece of paper? And it can be daunting. So if AI can start taking away that horror of the blank page. It certainly is interesting. Thank you, Karen. Eric Myers has picked a very interesting quote. It's from Better Man, a 1994 song by English rock band Pearl Jam. It's the 11th track on their third studio album, Vitalogy. I hope I'm saying that right, 1994. It was written by Eddie Vedder, the vocalist, while he was in high school. And Eddie Vedder said the following. This is a quote from him, Eric. He said, I wrote Better Man before I could drink legally on a four track in my old apartment. Sometimes I think of how far I've come from the teenager sitting on the bed in San Diego writing Better Man and wondering if anyone would ever hear it. It's a little autobiographical. I won't get into that, but I'll see what Eric says. The quote is, she lies and she says she's in love with him. Can't find a better man. She dreams in color. She dreams in red. Can't find a better man. Eric, let's hear this. Go ahead. Well, the first reason I guess I wanted to include that is how could we not go without, you know, including the great Eddie Vedder? I think that's first and foremost, number one, just the insight and kind of emotion that's attached to that. Uh, but there's one part of that that really, or the quote that really stood out to me about, you know, how far I've come. And I think this really relates to the topic of the AI, at least for me, on a personal level, is how far I've come as far as being more open to AI, how far I have yet to come about understanding how AI works, how it can be used in a classroom setting. And quote unquote, here's the cheesy line number two for today, you know, how I can be a better So I take so much pride in, you know, wanting to be the best instructor I can be, not just now, but in the future is being more comfortable with AI, understanding how AI can be maximized in any type of educational setting will make me, and I, and I hope a better man, not just as an instructor, but a better person too. 
Thank you very much. A better person, too. That's certainly a uh, an aspiration for all of us, I think. At the end of the show, you'll hear what my little call to action is, and you'll understand that. Thank you. Thank you all for the quotes. Bob, I'm putting some predictions into the chat, and I like so many of your predictions. I, I have a think I'm going to change it, Bob. I'm going to go to your prediction number two. So just take a peek at the chat, and let's go with that one. So here's Bob's first prediction. And everybody, if you want to make a comment, Bob will take two to three minutes to unpack it. If you want to make a comment, wiggle one of your nice fingers at me, and I will see you, and I will call on you and have a minute or so to respond so we can get through a lot of predictions. So Bob says... Number, th what did I say, Bob? Number two, here we go. Number Adva two. Advanced chatbots, sounds like door number two. Advanced chatbots will become powerful classroom aids that make lessons more interactive. Interesting, Bob, why don't you unpack that for us, please? And we'll see if anybody has comments. Go ahead. Sure, I mean, you think about all the possibilities and like many things, there are some things in education that will never change, but most of it will. Some things that won't change for example, is the fact that we know that students retain better based on the number of senses you can touch. If you can touch three or more senses, their retention rate goes up into the 70th percentile. If they are only using two or less of their senses to learn, the retention drops down to the 30th percentile. So when you think about the possibilities of AI combined with virtual reality glasses and things like that, and being a student in school, if you happen to be in kindergarten or first, second grade and you're studying dinosaurs through virtual reality goggles and AI, you don't have to read about them in a book. You can actually be out walking among the dinosaurs and you can listen to them and watch them move and watch them forage. I mean, and that combines all the senses, of course, which will really increase the amount that they're able to return, retain and what it'll do for their critical thinking and imagination just becomes, you know, tenfold, you know, because they're able to get the whole picture at once instead of trying to process learning step after step after step. So it's going to be pretty fascinating to see what can happen. I mean, imagine being in front of Lincoln as he gives the Gettysburg Address mm -hmm. as opposed to reading it in a book. Yeah, you know, it's going to be pretty fascinating. It's really just what do we want to do with it? And, and Bob, I, the word experience comes to mind. We all know in corporate and enterprise the past, what, five, 10 years, it's always about the customer experience. It wasn't what is the use case and what, it's the experience. They're having an experience. They're experiencing our product or our solution or our customer service. And now we're talking about, I think, Bob, the student experience, right? Absolutely. Go out with the dinosaurs. Yeah, Go ahead, Bob. I mean, the, the interesting thing is, you know, school, everyone in education, everyone on the panel, I'm sure would agree, has known that education has been broken for some time. And the question becomes, how do we fix it? Well, no one's really known how to. And then all of a sudden, AI comes up. Hmm. And depending on your perspective, you can look at AI as one of the biggest solutions to changing education if we use it the right way. I see a lot of people nodding. Anybody want to make a quick comment? Anybody? Okay, Brian, I saw you first, and Danielle. Go ahead, Brian. Unmute. There you go. Bob, wonderful insight. Um, how do you feel how do you feel the immersive aspect of education from the youngest to let's say PhD level? Just to kind of skip over, what do you think the inver in, in immersive experiences will look like uh, in this sort of model you're talking of? 
Bob? Sure. Well, I think one of the things that education is going to have to accept is that AI is going to just blow balloons taxonomy out the door. It's not going to have any effect anymore because essentially what we're going to have to do is tailor each student's education, the processes and the immersions specifically to each individual student. And I think that's a perfect segue into Danielle's prediction. But Danielle, did you want to comment on Bob without giving away the prediction I picked for you? Go ahead, Danielle. Yes, really quickly. So I just wanted to back up Bob from the neurocognitive perspective, the multimodal learning that he's talking about and tapping into multiple ways of knowing in order to synthesize and encode information for later retrieval, which is that academic performance piece that we're talking about, right? Academic functioning is going to be crucial. AI is going to play a crucial role in doing that. And then furthermore, understanding the universal design for learning, which is something that's been pushed for quite some time, where we are meeting students where they are and providing them the supports that they need specifically in order to access their educational environment. And so to Bob's point, this AI is going to be able to drill that down even further. And that's how we're going to see growth in the remediation and accommodation for students that need that extra support. Thank you. And that applies also to corporate training, right? When you bring in new solutions, everybody's not, and we've all been there. Oh, we got a new system. Learn it. What? How? Well, do you learn by listening? Do you learn by watching? Do you learn by touching? How do you, what is your learning modality? What kind of, it, will immersive change it for everybody? Will it be one size immersive fits all? That's a question we don't need to go into right now, but very interesting. Thank you, Bob, for a provocative prediction. And thank you for the comments. Danielle, I still think I want to go with number three prediction for you. You say at the educational delivery level, teachers will use AI to develop lessons plan lesson plans, courses, and engaging educational offerings that foster higher order critical thinking activities and creative original thought. The key word for me there is original thought. And when we think of ChatGPT, we think of LLMs, large language models, and we think of AI, we're saying, oh, there's not going to be anything original about it. You're copying it. You're using something that a machine wrote for you. Danielle, unpack this for us. Very interesting. So when looking at the educational delivery level, we're talking about the teacher level, the instructional level, the reaching the students. So teachers do spend a lot of time writing lessons, right? And then in higher in K-12 and then in higher ed course development. Anybody that's done course development in higher ed knows that it takes a lot of energy. There's a lot of redundancy and uh, items that could be flushed out by using AI, right? The instructions to the assignments, uh, writing instructions in different kind of voices, right? To your point with, write this so a five-year-old would understand it, right? And then understanding that teachers need to spend most of their time supporting and engaging the students as opposed to developing all of these, you know, redundant things that we all know that the, the students need to know. And so using AI and prompting AI to create lesson plans that are engaging for the students that might uh, grab their attention and help them encode the information a bit better is something that teachers are going to be able to do. They're going to be able to move their instructional delivery to the next level by grabbing every student through that multimodal learning. And then a comment on the higher order thinking activities. So writing is one of the highest order things you can do because it requires a high level of executive functioning skills, uh, word finding skills, 
retrieval of information, cultural and linguistic, to put something to paper, to create something coherent that we can read and understand, right? And not even to mention bringing in source material and making sure the topic makes sense. So what can we do as a springboard to help the students think more creatively about how many students have said, I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to say it. So we begin with taking their own creative ideas and inputting them and seeing what the output is and creatively and collaboratively working back and forth with the AI to fine tune that student's voice and what they wanted to say to begin their essay, right? And then you supplement your essay with the source material to, to support your assertions and your statements. And the creative original part is, it is a collaboration between the student's original thoughts, what they want to say, what they want to convey, their tone and their voice, and AI helping with the linguistic output of that. And them going back and forth, I say them as if the AI is a them, going back and forth to collaborate in order to create their final product. It really is hard to tease apart whose brain was guiding the activity. It's, it's the creative brain of the inputter, the prompter, and then the collaboration between the AI that creates the new original creative thought, whether it be an essay or a lesson plan or an idea for a course in higher ed or K-12. So that's what I meant by that. Thank you very much. And that goes reminds me of the issue of algorithms, which I mentioned as one of the oopses possibly because somebody wrote the algorithm. Somebody put their POV, their expertise, their experience, their biases into that algorithm. So it started from someone, we think, but algorithms may be generated and regenerated through machine learning where we can't tell where the original source was. And I think that's where we're going to get into trouble. Anybody want to make a comment on Danielle's prediction before I read one from Brian? Oh, Eric, please go ahead. Yeah, just to quickly uh, add to what Daniel was saying, I just think that's a very insightful and, and wonderful prediction on, on many different fronts, Daniel. And the one thing that you said that really stood out to me as an instructor was the lesson plan and the preparation that goes into the job is, I think, you know, I want to speak for everyone, but I imagine for all of us, we do spend a lot of time, you know, creating and crafting, you know, how we're going to target, you know, this lesson to our students, you know, how we're going to make it as engaging and insightful as possible. And to find a possible avenue with the use of AI to make that more efficient and effective. So almost having that kind of management centric approach, I think will better help us as educators, you know, spend more time, you know, helping our students once they're in the classroom, adjusting to different learning styles, which Bob was mentioning earlier. And I think can open up so many different doors that we haven't yet seen yet, which gives me a little bit more hope in that regard too. So I think that's a, a tremendous you know, prediction on many different fronts, Daniel. So very well said on that front. I'm impressed with the optimism here. Let's move on. I will tell you all, I used to teach adult ed in Great Neck, Long Island, and one of my favorite topics was how to sell on eBay. And I had typically, it was an evening class, I had a computer lab with six PCs, and I got doctors and architects and teachers and People, we used to call them housewives, then we call them household engineers or whatever they want to be called, wanting to learn how do I sell all those books in the attic or my fancy designer shoes or my purses or, you know, the kitchen things I'm not using anymore. And my method for keeping them engaged, I know it's a little off topic, but not really, was to say to the half asleep surgeon in the back row, because the class was from seven to 10 at night. Can you imagine on a Thursday night, Brian, taking a class where you had to pay attention for three hours? And I was animated, of course, but I had to find a way. So I would say, Brian, I'm picking on you. I would say, Dr. Brian in the back row, Dr. Brian, I understand that your wife really, really wants a pair of a product 
pair of shoes. And I know that Mary in the front row is selling them. So what would you want Mary to put into her ad on eBay to attract attention so you could find the birthday gift of a lifetime for your wife because they're never used. They still have the tags on. And I would engage the two of you in helping me construct the lesson. Nobody dared ever go to sleep in my class. There you go. Because I made them part of the lesson. Anyway, it was just bringing back a memory. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go on, Brian. I'm looking at prediction number two. This is interesting. You say AI will open up new adventure and discovery for students, the ability to form and persona with the AI. You have to explain that. This can open the door to questions like, what would Benjamin Franklin say about today's inflation? What would Alexander the Great, how would he run the modern world, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. Talk about immersive. Brian, take two and a half minutes. Go. What do you think? Well, uh, I think it's a phenomenal opportunity because you can essentially program persona within a large language model just by prompts. And um, I created something called super prompting, which allows you to create an elaborate um background on the persona of the individual. Uh, you just can't get a really good output by saying, answer this like you're ben Benjamin Franklin. You have to set up the, the, the entire environment, a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph, and then you prompt it in the mode as the large language model would consider Ben Franklin to respond or Alexander the Great. Lot, not very much information about how he would respond, but there would be a nuance from the corpus of work. Understanding that large language models are really just a, a, a vacuuming up of all human knowledge that was available to the model at the time, books, uh, academic uh, you know, submissions, things of that nature, plus interactions on Twitter. So we have the best and we have maybe not so much the best. We do get some incredible insights and a lot of my research is based upon creating persona so that we can guide ChatGPT into a very finite line in, in what type of responses it can create. Because, you know, if you ask simple questions, you're going to get a simple response. And once you understand that you can create very complex questions and have a chain of thought process, and one of the things I train on is just how that chain of thought process can continue out. And the discovery is absolutely magical. When you put a student in front of a system like this and you start with a prompt that's quite effective and then you just ask it questions that a student would come up with whatever phase of academic uh, learning they're at. It's phenomenal. I've seen it with very young students and they have one heck of a good time. You know, did uh, did Benjamin Franklin chew gum? You know, so how what what is that? Where does that come from, right? So the large language model will try to come up with a concept of whether or not chewing gum was popular in the epoch that Franklin was uh, was uh, around, and of course it, it it might speculate, but generally it's giving you very concrete ideas, and then you can push it to creativity. You can actually push creativity by forcing the large language model to reach past and to try to come back with something that's unique. And that's where magic happens with students. 
So I think it's very powerful. I think Benjamin Franklin invented chewing gum. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to say that. I had to say that. That's very interesting. I used to do an an improv TV show called What's So Funny in Great Neck, Long Island. And uh, I had improv friends from my classes I was taking in the city in Manhattan. And they would come up. I'd have somebody with four or five different characters. And I would be the, the Barbara Walters of improv interviewers in a way. And I'd sit down and I'd say, Eric Meyer, you invented string in minus 5000 BC? Tell us, Eric. And Eric would go into this improv about how he invented string. And I'd ask a couple questions. And when it stopped being funny and interesting, I'd say, wave goodbye to the what's so funny cameras. And the end, my director, well, this is all recorded, would just fade to black. And then I would say, and then you would you would put on a hat or, or a different outfit and you would be, and here's here's Eric and he invented glass. Eric, what was it like? Were you feeling really sharp that day or something? And I would come up with all these different things. And it was just fascinating talking, Brian, to the people (laughs) who invented this stuff. It was all made up, of course. Anybody have any quick comments about Brian? Because I want to move on. Bob, I see you. Yes. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, Well, just uh, first of all, just a quick nod to Brian, because I think half of what I know about AI, I, I learned from following Brian on Twitter. Oh, he writes some pretty good stuff. But uh, what I was going to point out was how this is going to change teaching. Because we're talking about essentially, instead of creating lesson plans, we're going to be creating prompts. Oh, interesting. I want to stop you there because I, we're, we have seven minutes left and I have a prediction to select from Karen and one from Eric. I want to get them in. So Karen, thank you for that. Karen here, you say uh, AI teachers will provide a one-on-one learning experience without having the teacher there to answer questions, answer questions at all hours of the day. It's like having a private tutor available 24-7. Ooh, Karen, talk. Two and a half minutes. We're tight on time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I've been um, texted. People of my students used to Facebook message me, and I would feel compelled to answer them. Even though it's at nine at night, I would be in on vacation. And with AI, I mean, think about it. They don't have to email the teacher and then wait and wait and wait, especially if they're facing a deadline. So just knowing that they have a reliable resource, a lot of my students, it's like a huge sigh of relief that their answers, you know, what's the format of the, um, you know, exam? What do I have to study? Do we really have to do, you know, X, Y, Z? They don't have to wait. And then sometimes they miss the deadline because they don't start since they don't know, you know, how to do the assignment. I think having that 24, um, it's pretty much 24 hours, right? And I don't think it'll um, prevent me from losing tutoring jobs because you still need that live presence and that emotional connection. But I think it's a, a great resource, especially when you don't have like open from nine to five or closed during <laughs> holidays. You know, you're, you're always able to access your, your chat GBT friend. Thank you, Karen. I want to move quickly to Eric Myers. Eric, I'm put, combining two predictions because I think you meant them to be continuing. So you say AI will cause a greater focus toward in-person learning as more people will miss the face-to-face interaction of a classroom environment. And then you say, I believe that and how to make sure they feel connected to their university or college. I think those go together nicely. Eric, two minutes, go ahead. Well, this actually, I think, really ties to something Brian was mentioning a little bit earlier about cyborgs. And I liked how he brought out his phone and said, we're already kind of in that stage within society. And that really resonated with me as I think we can all be guilty of being too attached to our phones, whether it's social media, you know, using AI that we still 
lose that human interaction, those face-to-face, you know, emotional components of learning. And again, there's so many benefits that AI can provide, you know, helping with efficiency, like Karen was just mentioning, responding to inquiries that come in at all times throughout the day. But we cannot lose that face-to-face, one-on-one interactions about body language, emotions, people dynamics, et cetera. And I think accelerated with the pandemic people are realizing that they miss seeing people face to face yes we can use ai while we're face to face but we can't completely be on islands of ourselves we still have to have that human interactions and i truly believe you know i'm far from you know predicting everything but i i do think that we'll get to that stage where people are going to still want that face-to-face learning environment and that won't be completely eliminated entirely interesting i will tell you that i used to do radio all on the phone for years. I started something called Game Changers Radio for SAP in 2011. And I did 30, 40, 50 series, sometimes 18 series at the same time, six hours of live radio a week, all on the phone. Danielle, can you imagine? I'm thinking, uh, Danielle Hankins, is she done with the sentence? Is she, I don't want to step on her toes. Is she, it was just taking a breath. Is Bob uh, thinking about something before he says the next sentence? Is Eric going to continue? Is, is Brian still contemplating his answer? And I had to, I had to insert myself into where are they? What, what beat of a couple seconds did I take before? And then we had Zoom and I went to, to Voice America and I said, can I add Zoom to my shows? They said, sure. So we gave, I give the, uh, the code to the Zoom, the past, not the password, but the code to the engineer, and they bring us in on Zoom. So we're live on radio and we're live streaming on LinkedIn and Facebook. But I get the pleasure, Eric, of visual interaction with my guests. I can watch and see if Brian's really paying attention, which he is. And I love the shirt, by the way, Brian. And I can see if Karen's laughing and I can see if Bob is saying, you know, I think I want to comment on Danielle's prediction. Yeah, that's really cool. And Danielle's saying, I think they get all this brainiac stuff I'm sharing. I think they really (laughs) understand me. I'm not sure, but I think so. And I can watch you all think. So think about what we've, how far we've come. I know that's a little off the AI topic, but think of how far we've come where we can actually see each other on the radio. I've got two minutes left. I want to thank everybody. This has been an extraordinarily interesting conversation. Bob, again, thank you. You engaged Danielle and Eric and Brian, and I brought in my good friend, Karen, who always has something wonderful to add, and that smile and thinking that somebody's getting up at 4.30 in the morning in Hawaii to be on the show always makes me very happy. Karen, you have permission to go take a nap. So I want to thank my engineer, Andrew at Voice America, the friendly guy who always says, how are you today? Andrew, I still think you have relatives in New York because that's how I'm supposed to talk because I'm a New Yorker, but I don't talk that way. I want you all to join me in a quick we're going to go around the table here. One sentence prediction. That's all you get. Not a paragraph. One sentence on the most important role of AI in education. One sentence. Bob, fast. One sentence. Go. Everybody get ready. Bob? Embrace it. Oh, good. Okay. Danielle? Student support. Student centered. Okay. Brian? AI will be your friend. Wow. Karen? Be open-minded. Eric? The best is yet to come. 
I have never had a panel beat a one minute, one minute limit for. Now I have you all, I need you to do something with me very quickly. I want you to put up your no, no, no finger. Come on, everybody put up a finger and you can stick around for pictures with me. And on the count of three, you're going to join me to say no, no, no. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, 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 no. That's because that was yesterday's future or whoops, that was a future two seconds ago before I spoke after that period. It's gone already. We're all here to make it a better future working together. Bonnie D signing off for another really, really good episode of Technology Revolution in the Future. And everybody wave goodbye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.